Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Do not forget of all the other festivities going on around here next week with um, the ladies on Thursday night and then the church Christmas dinner on Friday. There is a sign-up sheet in the back for that. And it is in that you indicate there whether or not you need child care. I've always been referred to Brother Mason. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, but you can indicate on the sign-up sheet back there if you uh, need child care that's going to be provided by uh, the young here on the premise so money for Friday adult Christmas is due Sunday 15 bucks per person could everybody hear that if not I'll have her speak up she was talking say it again Thursday. If you do we have any of this on the screen? I don't know. Check Facebook. That should be coming up, I'm sure, on Facebook there'll be something. Or they can see my wife. And uh, she can answer any other questions that may may need to be answered concerning that. If you show up, you're liable to be fed. I'll just let you know that. So, anyway, we're going to pray tonight. And then we'll step into the third part of our series called Nothing Ordinary. We'll step into the third part. I'm going to pray. And then we'll go on. We're going to talk about combating commonness. Commonness, we have done just a few of these about overcoming commonness and confronting commonness that we're going to talk about combating commonness uh, tonight next Wednesday will be the end of this series matter of fact it'll be my last Wednesday per se of teaching for the year and such so uh, let's let's go out with a bang amen father we love you today God, I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, you able to help us, Lord, in this place tonight. God, turn our attention, Lord, toward your word. Help us, God. I pray, Lord, to look into your scriptures, oh, Lord Jesus, and learn of you. God, by them, I pray, oh, Lord, today, help us, God, to be more. God, than just ordinary, more God than common. I pray, oh, Lord, let the power of your spirit, God, be with us tonight. And we'll not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you accomplished, Jesus, here this evening. In Jesus' name. And everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I recently read what I would consider a stimulating conversation uh, that was started between a Christian pastor and a rabbi about the approaching Christmas season. The Christian pastor was concerned about the rabbi's children since their family didn't celebrate Christmas like the vast majority of our society uh, does. He asked the rabbi, he said, well, what about your kids? He said, don't they feel left out when most all the other kids are celebrating Christmas? 
And the rabbi's response was, no, what some people call left out, we call set apart. He said, being different is central to what we teach our kids. He said, the kind of separation from the culture, that kind of separation from the culture isn't, isn't something to be embarrassed about. He said, it's who we are. I remember that very clearly as a young boy uh, growing up. Sometimes if we didn't uh, participate in some of the different activities in the classroom because of uh, beliefs or dogmas or convictions, then we sat out in the hallway. And I remember I always, uh, at times, different times of year that took place that we did not participate in, sitting in the hallway with a Jewish girl by the name of Stephanie. And I remember that so well. But it wasn't being odd for her. It was being unique. Uh, I believe it's necessary to underscore the fact tonight that that nothing ordinary is not about isolation, but separation, being set apart. Because isolation, by, by definition, means that we are cut off from the rest of the world by circumstances that are beyond our control. That's isolation. But whenever you talk about being set apart or separation, separation is a place or line or a point of parting. Set apart or separation isn't necessarily removal from the group, but a differing from the rest of the group, the rest of humanity in such a way, the way that we live or the way that we work or the way that we organize and conduct our lives. So two entirely different things. Isolation and separation. Isolation, again, you don't have no control over. Isolation, again, is totally being removed. Separation is setting yourself apart while still being among. And so it's in the, the group, it's being in the group, but different from the rest of the group that presents what we know, and it's been age-old age since you've been a child and even follows you into the adulthood called peer pressure. Uh, kids I know receive or are the brunt maybe of some of that teenagers even maybe more so than children but uh, it follows us on into adulthood whether we like to admit it or not there's still a lot of adults that cave if I could say it like that under peer pressure and our peers really have the ability to influence us uh, peer pressure can be either positive or negative you can be persuaded to, for a great cause. Uh, you, you hang around maybe Malin and Zach long enough, you'll be peer pressured to go to the gym. That ain't necessarily a bad thing. But uh, you may hang uh, with some other people that you may be pressured to, uh, you know, uh, drink, cuss, flirt with somebody that's not your wife. And so it could quite go in another direction. And again, it isn't just a teenage issue. It's an every age issue. The Bible says that Proverbs 13 and verse number 20, Solomon, he says, He that walketh with the wise, with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Let me submit just a couple more versions that that also state this same verse. The Good News Translation, and it gets kind of uh, just plain there in the last of this verse. It says, keep company with the wise, and you will become wise. 
It says, if you make friends with stupid people, you will be ruined. Yeah, it said stupid. The message Bible says, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall into pieces. What these verses uh, are stating to us is what we have known and even little phrases we have that say that birds of a feather seem to flock together. You hang around dogs, you get, man, you all, you all was where I was when I heard that, right? But the, 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 the theme and the mindset of that is very true, not just within the context of everyday life, but in the context of church life. You know, they used to tell us at youth conferences and camps this, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. Walk with the wise and shall be wise, your companion of fools, and you will be destroyed. With good reason then, with good reason, we understand why the Lord told Israel and they entered into the land of Canaan, the land of promise. We know why he admonished them, emphasized to them, I want you to drive out all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. And the reason why is because the Lord knew he knew, the, he knew the frame and the mindset of humanity that if there was any residual Canaanites in the land, that they might possibly have influence upon God's people whenever they would go into the land. Not just children and teenagers, but adults too. As a matter of fact, uh, this pressure that we call peer pressure, it's even more uh, amplified or acute when we feel like that we are the only ones when we feel like we're the minority peer pressure can come whether you're the minority or not but it seems amplified when it feels like you're the smaller of the crowd the lesser or the minority for that matter if you'll remember the old testament uh elijah grand prophet did great and mighty miracles uh, before the people by the hand of the lord but if you'll remember that he went up to a cave he separated himself from everybody, went up to a cave, hid himself in that cave. He even was having a discussion with the Lord in 1 Kings 19, requesting of the Lord that he might die, that he might be taken away from the earth. And all of that was particularly because he felt like he was the only one left standing for the Lord. And so since he felt like he was the only one left standing, he would just like to just do away with all, take me out, God, because this if I could say it in my own terms, it's not a good feeling to feel like you're doing this all by yourself. It's not a good feeling to feel like you're the only one or you're the minority that's standing for the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Kings 19 and verse number 13, this is again the story of Elijah, and it was so. And, and these two uh, phrases of verses are almost repeated twice within this chapter. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood and entering into the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What dost thou hear, Elijah? God is questioning him. Why are you here in this cave, Elijah? And so Elijah gives his reasoning in verse 14. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. So he's telling him, I've, I, man, I, I've stood for the Lord. I, I've done what God has asked of me. I've went down to the, the, the brook Cherith. I've went to Zarephath where he said, go, I've done. I've done all these things. And then he says, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I 
Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah's saying, he said, I've done great things for the Lord. Anybody need a piece of candy? I've done great things for the, for the things of the Lord. It seems like I've stood by myself. He said, while all the rest of Israel, they've slain your prophets. They've not hearkened into your voice. They've, they've forsaken your covenant. They've tore down your altars. They've done all these horrible things. You know what Elijah's saying? I feel alone. And it, it's, it, I, you know, we don't. Elijah doesn't come forth and say all this, but let me just tap into the fabric of humanity. I'm feeling a lot of pressure right now. Because everybody else is going that way and I'm headed that direction. Everybody else is turning their back on you and I'm trying to stay true to you, but I'm hearing their voices. Huh? I'm hearing what they're saying. And Lord, to be quite honest, at this point, it would be easier to give in than to continue on. Hmm. Peer pressure, I might call it. He felt the pressure. For him, it was like, get me out of here. Let, let's get pre-raptured. Just take my life. <laughs> get me out of here. Because if you could just remove me from this, then I wouldn't have to take everything that I'm taking right now. But whenever the Lord spoke back to Elijah, amen, and, and ministered to him about he was to go down and anoint this one and anoint, anoint Elisha in your room and, and Jehu and all this. But then he kind of put in a little footnote there for Elijah after he'd given him all these instructions about building his faith that he wasn't done yet. He had this and that for him to do. He says, and by the way, if I could say it like this, the Lord said, by the way, he says, I got 7,000 in Israel that's not bowed to Baal or kissed him or kissed Baal. In other words, he says, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. And he says, although it feels like you're walking alone, he says, you are not. But that isn't an amazing what peer pressure can do. You can be so certain that this is the way it is or this is the way I'm going to respond or that's the way it's going to be. But you just have a few other people that say differently from you and you'll start second guessing what you thought you was going to do. An experiment was done to illustrate how people can People handle or don't handle, you might say, peer pressure. Ten people uh, were selected, or groups of ten were selected. They were brought into a room uh, that had a teacher there. The teacher was going to have three various lengths of lines uh, on the chalkboard. And they were instructed that they were to raise their hand by the teacher, that whenever she pointed to the longest line, they were to raise their hand. Well, what everybody in that room of those ten people knew except one was prior to entering the room, nine of them were told, no matter how long the line is, always raise your hand on the second longest line. And so nine people are going in with the information. They're to raise their hand on the second longest line. And only one is going in with the idea, whenever the line is the longest, that's when you raise your hand. Well, the teacher goes on the board. She starts pointing at these lines, which are noticeably different. It's not like you have to close one eye. They're noticeably different. When she got to the second longest line, nine hands in the room went up. And here's old Joe over here. He's kind of looking around, right? Because that's what we do. Starts looking around, and he's sure that that's not the longest line. But because no one's saying anything, but just the feeling of a hand being raised. You know what he does? They did this study several times with 10 people, always the same dynamics concerning that. And after they did that for several, several times uh, of, of 10 going in, one not knowing, nine knowing, uh, due to the pressure of just hands being raised, 
75% of the cases, 75% of the cases, the 10th person would raise their hand to. 75% of the time. If they do that over the length of lines, how often do you think people do that over the cardinal truths of the church? Because, again, as I stated earlier, it's all somewhat perception. When we talk about nothing ordinary, really where you are with your relationship and walk with God, whether you feel odd or whether you feel peculiar and unique and his special treasure. Hmm? Some people, it's like, oh, I can't do that. I'll stand out. And they say that in a negative connotation. But what if we stood out in a positive connotation? I can't do that. That would be weird. By your statement alone, it already, it already gives in your view and your perspective. Other people could say, man, we'll draw attention to the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, we're going to read several verses of Scripture from this. But in Jesus' high priestly prayer of John 17, he emphasizes even within his prayer, he emphasizes that separation is different from isolation. All right? And he also tells us the means of separation or how that we are separated. Look at it. Here is Jesus. He's praying. There's not much more time uh, of him upon the earth. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for everything that's going to precipitate and come forth after he leaves. And in John 17 and verse 14, he states these words. He says, I have given them thy word. This is Jesus praying as a man. I have given them thy word, and the world hateth them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So everybody's got that statement, right? He's saying, your disciples, the Lord, these disciples are not of the world. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. They're not of the world, but I don't want you to take them out of the world. But thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Look at verse 16. They are not of the world, he emphasizes, even as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So, and there's a lot of back and forth there. But the overall survey of those few little verses of Scripture is this, that the disciples are not of the world. They're different. They're separate. But they must not be taken out of the world. They shouldn't be isolated from it. They're separate from it, but they shouldn't be isolated from it. He does, though, say they should be kept from evil. Again, a separation idea. They are not of the world. They are not of the world. But he says they've been sent into the world. Yet while they are in the world, he says they are sanctified, which is literally they are set apart. They are set apart for his service. They are set apart for his purpose. They are set apart by truth. And he says your word is truth. What this tells me is this tonight, folks, is that you can be separated from something without being isolated from it. 
You can be separated from the world without being isolated from the world. All right. He even told him, but keep, he said, but keep, keep them from evil. And that keeping them from evil requires something. It requires the word of truth. It requires truth in order to be in the world, yet kept separate from the world. In order to be in it, but not of it, it requires the word, amen, to keep them from evil. Let me state it like this. If you're not going to be isolated from the world, then you must be insulated by the word. You're not going to be isolated from it. Then you must be insulated by the word. Amen. Daniel and the three Hebrew boys stood apart, stood apart from the rest that came uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon, stood apart from the rest, even that were inhabitants of Babylon, because they had experienced a revival of the word. Everybody say the word. A revival of the word they had experienced before they ever entered into Babylon. Most, most scholars and chronologists, whatever you wish to call them, agree that Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were in their teenage years whenever they were taken to Babylon. And if that is the case, that means Daniel, when he was born, and in his formative years, those three Hebrew boys, they were all born in their formative years, took place during the revival years of King Josiah, the king of Judah. Under Josiah, you'll remember the story perhaps in 2 Kings, but under Josiah, amen, a revival took place under his rule because a man by the name of Hilkiah, the high priest, had found the book of the law or the Torah which had been lost. They found it in the house of God. And whenever Josiah learned of this, Josiah had that book of the law read. And whenever it was read, he seen all the places that they had not kept the law. And he was going to cause a reformation to take place to start keeping what they had not kept. And so it was a revival, if you will, of the word of God. He started setting things back in order according to the word, according to the scripture. And so he did that. Prior to this moment, though, Prior to this moment with Josiah and the reviving of the word, all the people of Judah, all the people of that nation had shared a likeness with other nations. In other words, they had went after their gods. They, tried, they started doing some of the things that the other nations of the world around them had done. They started, if you will, blending in. They caved to the pressure of their times. They caved to the pressure of their world. If I can say it like this, when the word is lost from our lives, then God's people have a, have a tendency to lose their identity. Amen. And it wasn't until there was a revival of the word under Josiah then things started coming back in order. That started to be done again. And that started to be, you know, done. And this over here, they, they started pulling themselves away from false gods and lean back to the Lord true God because the word sanctifies. The word helps separate. The word helps set us apart. That's the reason we need to, you know, we just came through NYC apostolic. Uh, that was the thing. That's the reason why we need to in the church, if anything, man, make sure when we're teaching, preaching to include the word. You know, modern day is this. Oh, Jesus, every time he preached, he told a parable and he was just a storyteller. And so we have a bunch of people just entering pulpits telling stories that have no basis here. Telling the story will not keep your identity. 
Telling the story, won't keep, it won't keep the nothing ordinary about you. Amen. No, only the word can do that. It is a sanctifier. It is a separator. It's a contributor to us being nothing ordinary. Daniel and those three Hebrew boys uh, were selected uh, to be carried off into Babylon for a particular purpose. This is Daniel 1 and 4. There's just a little phrase there. Amen. I don't know if they're getting up there or something going on back there. I'm confused. Nevertheless, the Bible says, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldees. You can read of it. This is one of the purposes of getting Daniel and those three Hebrew boys into Babylon, that they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldees. They wanted to teach them the learning or the writings of the Chaldees. They want to teach them things that were in opposition to what they had formerly been taught. And they want to teach them the tongue or the language of the Chaldeans. All right. Now, the Chaldeans were nothing more but really a tribe in the southern portion of the land of Babylon. But whenever you say Babylon, we say Babylon, we say Babel. When you talk about Babylon, you're talking about the nation. But whenever you talk about Chaldean, you're talking about the culture. And so they wanted to take these boys and teach them, if you will, learn them the things of the culture of Babylon and the language, if you will, of that culture. That's what they wanted to do to these boys. They wanted to reprogram them. They wanted to take them out of their world, put them in another world, and see if they would cave in under the world in the context they were put in. They wanted, they wanted to teach them the language. They wanted to teach them the learning of the culture of that place. And for three years, they would be constantly taught the, the, the language. They would constantly be taught uh, the writings, if you will, of this place. And so you got to think here for a moment. Daniel and those three, co, co, those three uh, uh, boys that were in the fiery furnace, they had to have a strong grasp on their roots in order to withstand what was being taught them by both language and by the writings. They had to have a strong stand. They had to be nothing ordinary. They had to be convicted concerning what they had heard, what they had experienced during the time of the revival of the word. Let me say, I don't know if Daniel and the three boys would have had the same outcome had they not been born when they were born in those formative years, had not the revival started, had they been born whenever they were searching after other gods and, and taking up every bang thing, I don't know if the outcome in Babylon would have been the same, but because there was a revival of the word, that already, what does the Bible, what does David say even in Psalms, thy word have I hid in my what? That I might not what? Yeah, because the word helped sanctify. The word helps separate. And so they go over there. They're submerged in a culture that's not their own, yet they don't adopt that as their culture. Amen. The Bible even says in Daniel 1 and verse number 5, something else that was extended to them is that the king appointed them daily provisions of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. And so not only are they being taught concerning the culture of the Chaldeans, the king is saying, here's some food and drink from my table and wine from my table. Daily provisions are being thrown their way, amen, in this heathen land. As a matter of fact, in the heathen land, it was customarily that if one would not receive such things that was being provided by a king, if they were to refuse the provision of a king, uh, they may be even subjected to death for refusing what 
a foreign king was given them. But Daniel and these guys, they're saying, no, thank you, in a respectful manner, of course. No, thank you. We would rather not have that. I know, I know this is just three years of my life. Oh, that could have been, that could have been a real good playing card, wouldn't it? It's only three years. What's the difference of blending in just for three years? Because people enter certain times of life, from teenage to adulthood, having families, not having families, empty nest syndrome, and sometimes what is spoken concerning where they are with God is like, well, it's just the time of life that we're in right now. Once this gets by, then everything will be. This nothing ordinary thing's not seasonal. It's, 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 not, it's not seasonal. Daniel didn't say, well, it's just three years. What's the big deal? No, 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 no. He continued, in spite of it just being three years, aligned himself with the precepts, those God-ordained things that he had been taught as a young child because if he were taken the king's provision, you've got to understand that there may have been blood left in the meat. The Old Testament law told them not to eat any meat with blood in it because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Don't be doing any of that. If he ate it, there could have been, there could have been blood left in it. The meat and the drink that came from the king most of the time, anybody that was not serving the Lord true God, they used their meat and their drink as some type of sacrifice or offering to a false god. And so what he was being given could have very easily had been sacrificed somewhere to a false god, and now he's going to partake of that. Not only that, through the Old Testament Scripture leading up to the New Testament, anytime someone shares a meal, it pointed particularly, it was, I mean, sharing a meal uh, for those of different culture is a whole lot more meaningful than us in America for some cultures. Sharing a meal for them in that day for sure pointed to friendship. It pointed to fellowship. For some nations, it pointed to being in covenant. Hmm? You understand, all the Jewish laws concerning their dietary, what they do with their diet, isn't all about health reasons. They were for separation reasons. Because most of life that was exchanged and lifestyles that were exchanged occurred around a table or a feast or festival where food was consumed. And so the Jews, if they were told according to the law to abstain from certain foods or to not eat food that had blood in it or that which was sacrificed to an idol, if, if they did not involve themselves in some of those things, you know what that kept them from? Some real social events that could have ensnared them. And so for the protection, the dietary laws were put in place, not for health reasons so much so, but for their consecration, for staying and remaining separated. Amen. Someone say amen. It's just one of the ways that the Lord protected them. So, so you know, calmly there, there's a direct relationship oftentimes between separation and fellowship. Separation and fellowship. Uh, often we choose separation in order to maintain or protect proper fellowship. It helps us keep us from evil. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 in verse number 14, it states these words. Some know these well. It says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion have light with darkness? What concord have Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with the infidel, a non-believer? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Let's consider it. So they were talking about this, this being separate thing. Again, Daniel Daniel charged the man that was placed over him and the three Hebrew boys. There was one that was watching over them that was going to provide them with the king's meat, so to speak. He charged that man that was over them. He said, why don't you just prove us for 10 days? He said, for 10 days, just look at us. And instead, instead of giving us the king's provision, he said, you give us pulse and you give us water for 10 days. Pulse and water, pulse and water. And so he says, and at the end of those 10 days, he says, you just look upon us and you see whether or not that we should be taking the king's meat or that we should continue with pulse and water. And so at the end of that trial of 10 days, the Bible says that their countenance, their countenance was different from everybody else's countenance. At the end of the days, not only was Daniel and his companions countenances, nothing ordinary, so to speak. But the boys looked particularly noticeably different from the others that did eat the king's provision of Babylon. As a matter of fact, the man even seems, according to Scripture in, in Daniel chapter number 1, seems to indicate that Daniel and these guys seemed even a little better off than the others that took the king's portion. I'm asking them tonight this. I wonder if they'd went on and consumed the same thing as everybody else had consumed there probably would have been no difference then in their appearance. Probably been no difference in their complexion or in their faces. Something else that we take in mind tonight, not only does the word help combat commonness, it's essential to help us separate, but prayers that we pray help also combat commonness. The phrase in the Lord's Prayer, which is the model prayer, it's not just a prayer to be repeated, but a prayer as a model for us to follow but there's a phrase in the earlier part of, that, of that, that, that prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Tucked at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name is, is not just a statement. It's not just a declaration. Hallowed be thy name in reality is a petition. It is a request. Amen. Because of course we know his name is hallowed or it is holy. We understand that. But when we say hallowed be thy name, it's a request that he would take his name and make his name hallowed in and through our own lives. In and through our own lives. And here's for certain. If you've taken his name in baptism, if you've taken his name in baptism, then we're asking then the Lord just to be hallowed, his name to be holy in us. Holy in us. Again, hallowed means holy or whole or wholesome, heal or healed uh, in us. Someone say in us. Something that's holy is set apart. Everything. What? I'm going to make the oil after the art of the apothecary. It's a holy anointing oil. What? It's not to be used on any other man. What? It's set apart. 
All the instrumentation that's in the tabernacle is considered and called holy. Why? It's for a particular use, for a particular time. It's not for frying up your pancakes in the morning. Those pans were making for the holy bread. That was to be upon the table of shoe bread. It's holy unto the Lord. His name needs to be hallowed even in our lives, particularly if we've received his name in baptism. It needs to be hallowed in our life. I have a nothing ordinary name. This is not like John and Smith. You hear what I'm saying? This is the name of Jesus. There, there was a soldier. There was a soldier in the army of Alexander the Great one time. He had left the battlefield. He had deserted his post. And when he was asked his name, that quaking soldier came to Alexander the Great. And he said, he said, sir, he said, what is your name? And he said, Lord, he said, my name is Alexander. And upon that, Alexander's reply to him was this. Alexander the Great, he said, you have three choices. He said, you can either fight, go home, or change your name. Because they shared the same first name. And this soldier was an extension of who he was and what his army was. He said, you can either fight, you can get on it. He said, you can go home or change your name. He said, because we shared, you understand what he's saying? If you're going to have the same name that I have, he says, then let's show something for it. Amen. The Lord wants his name to be hallowed, if you will. His name to be hallowed. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 and verse number 15, it states these words. But as he which hath called you is holy, everyone say holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And again, that's just not talk. That's lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, the statement, be ye holy, is not a command for you to accomplish necessarily by your own means. The statement, be ye holy, is an empowerment that's derived from your God. Because he says, be ye holy for I am holy. Because mortal man can't be holy on his own. But he's empowered to be holy because God is his God. Amen. He's empowered to be holy because God is his God. If we're nothing ordinary, it's because we're connected to something nothing ordinary. If we're different, it's be, this goes back to our first lesson. It's because he's different. Remember, there's none like him, right? There's not another. There's none to compare. So if we are that, it's because he is that. He even told him, he said, the world's going to hate you, but before it hated you, it hated me. Huh? Who is this man? They even spoke of Jesus. No man ever spake like this man. They had all these things that set him aside as unique, peculiar. Honey, we need to stand out the same. Someone say amen. Someone once said, you don't command a stone which is lying in the sun to be warm. Mm -mm. It'll be warm all by itself because it's lying in the sun. Which is a derivative of who he is. Stay with me tonight. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we want God to be everything he is and is known to be in our lives. No wonder it follows then in the prayer. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. 
It's all part of the hallowing, really. All a part of the separate. Your will to be done, Lord, right here in life. Not just the will that I perceive to be God's will, and it's my will too. Your, your, your kingdom come. Again, that goes back last the few weeks ago, remember? That we're to put him and his kingdom first, and all these other things will be added unto it. We're nothing ordinary people. How can we convince people to come be a part that's exactly the way they are? Come to church. Come be a part of the the, the body of Christ. Whenever the body is no different than the body they're already a part of. No distinguishable difference. In varied areas, no distinguishable difference. We can't win anybody to nothing ordinary if we're just ordinary. Oh, come experience da-da-da-da-da-da. And they come and they just experience what they experience everywhere else. Great sales pitch to put on the sign. But if there is no difference, and let me tell you today, people are looking for something different. Different. They've had the ordinary. More than they can count. Everybody, you know, the old, what is it, Arby's different is good. It is. In this context, it is. Because our different harmonizes with the different of the Lord. Can we bow our heads right now tonight? Father, I come to you this evening. I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, that we are living, Lord, in God, times of peril. The Bible spoke, Lord Jesus, of these times. God, it spoke of these times. I pray, O oh Lord, today, help us, God, to be a light, Lord, that would shine bright, Lord, in a darkened world, in a darkened society. I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, help us, O oh Lord Jesus, to proclaim your name. God, to make it known, Lord Jesus, among all. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, today, God, not, Lord, to feel overwhelmed or pressured, Lord Jesus, to walk, Lord, according to status quo, Lord, or whatever business as usual may be, Father. But, God, to walk according, Lord Jesus, God, to the steps of even Father Abraham and those, Lord, that would come, Lord, down through his lineage. I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, that you're able to equip us, Lord, today, and you have equipped us. I pray, O oh Lord, today, help us, God, to come back, Lord Jesus, be an ordinary and commonness, Lord Jesus, with both your word, Father, and with prayer, God, that we would be successful, Lord Jesus, as we walk in this life, Lord, for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.